for uh, for one thing uh, before we start the message. Um, many of you will know that Larry and Sandy Hazel moved last week to be uh, with their family at this difficult time in uh, with the health of Larry particularly. Um, so relocating to be with family in Calgary, and they made it out there, um, but uh, Larry had a seizure and is in hospital and is being put into palliative care. So they're outside of you know, proximity to us, but not out of our hearts and minds and thoughts. I just want to pray for them at this time. Our Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we, we think of Larry and Sandy, and just uh, when I think of them, I think of the joy of watching, uh, particularly in this last couple of years, watch Larry uh, following you and being baptized and committing himself to you and how excited we all were. And Lord, as they go through a difficult time right now, I just pray for them. I pray that they would know your grace, your presence, your strength and comfort at this difficult time, not just for them, but for their kids as, as they process this as a family, uh, the difficulty of it. And Lord, uh, though they are physically removed from us, uh, yet they're in our hearts, and we lift them before you and ask for your grace to be upon them at this time. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Um, I, I'm so appreciative of uh, Chris and all the work she does for the graphic stuff, and uh, she came up with this really neat idea for uh, the graphic for the series of messages on uh, living joyfully. And um, so a couple weeks ago, it was Father's Day, and I had family here. And when I got home from church, I, I saw that what, what my, my, my family had done was taken uh, all of these different uh, expressions, and they put names to them in our family. <laughs> so <laughs> I think they did that during the service. Oh, this would be dad, this would be, you know. You know so we, you know, we've got the crier, we've got the mad person, we've got the confused person, we've got the kissy person and the happy person. So, you know, if, if things, things are getting a little, uh, you know, dull at your place, Pull out the bulletin and start and figure out who in your family is that, or, or who is that today, because it, it can change, right? Um, anyway, I appreciate Chris and all the work she does. I said, I said to Chris, part of your job is to, to make me look good, and, and I know that is like impossible, but she does her best, and I appreciate what she does do. Um, do, you ever, do you ever read the Bible and think, Wow, I don't know about this one. Uh, This is hard, or this is, uh, I don't know whether I can do that, or something like that. Or maybe you think it's not fair, the kind of things that followers of Christ are asked to do. Maybe it's it's like asking too much. It's too much, like, love your enemies. Really? You mean the person who has dogged me and wrecked stuff in my life and just made life miserable? Yeah, love that person. Do good to those who persecute you. Pray for them. Bless them. Lose your life so you can find it in Christ. Uh, be a servant to everybody. A servant to everybody. Offer your body and all you are to God as a sacrifice. How about this one? Forgive those who hurt you. 
even if they don't acknowledge that they hurt you and they, they don't, they're not interested in re- responding in a, in a gracious way. Uh, put others before yourself. Um, and today, rejoice in the Lord. Always, again I say, rejoice. Uh, and if it wasn't enough for it to be in chapter 4, verse 4, it's in chapter 3. Rejoice in the Lord. And if that wasn't enough, Paul's in Thessalonians. He's saying, uh, be joyful always. Then he's got this, for this is the will of God, to be joyful. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm going, really, Lord? Be joyful? Uh, Be joyful in the situation I'm in now? That doesn't sound fair. It doesn't doesn't sound right. Uh, When things, when I'm in a crisis... When, when I'm, I'm just having trouble dealing with it, rejoice always, rejoice in every situation. When I'm going through a crisis, when everything is terrible, when I'm stressed to the limit and I've got problems, and you're saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It sounds like... Maybe it's not even fair, but our teacher, the Apostle Paul, has uh, some moral authority on which to speak to us. He's not just a guy who tells you what to do, but he doesn't do it himself. He speaks out of his own experience. In fact, his first trip uh, to Philippi was was a result of of a a dream that God gave him of somebody in Macedonia who was crying, come and help us, come and help us. And uh, he, he was going to go the other direction, but he determined that God was directing him to go to Philippi. And while he was there, God did a wonderful thing and established a church there. And, and as great as that was, um, Paul did something wonderful through the Lord. He delivered a demonic woman who was, who was uh, bringing a lot of money in for her masters, who used her divination her, her demon possession to try and uh, make money, and he was so sick of this woman following them and 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 kind of heckling that he cast out the demon. The people weren't very happy because they wanted uh, they were going to lose money because this demon possessed woman couldn't do for them what she was doing, and so they just unfairly, without a trial or anything, threw Paul and Silas in prison, beat the tar out of them. fastened them with chains and while he was there he's singing and we read that uh, that the prisoners heard him here he is that's his introduction to Philippi and and now he's he's here uh, uh, again he's uh, he's sending them a thank you note for all the care that they have as uh, as they sent someone to bring money to him and care for him. And, and he's in prison. And he's gushing with joy. He, he's, he's in a filthy jail. And yet he's singing to God. And you say, well, how, how, how does somebody do that? Well, I think you need to understand that there's a difference between happiness Enjoy. Happiness is the product of right circumstances. Happiness is when everything is going your way. And, and, and it's easy to be happy in those kind of uh, circumstances. It's dependent upon prob- uh, positive events. 
and this wonderful feeling of elation. Um, whereas joy is something that's far deeper, far more profound. It can, experience, it can be experienced in less than ideal circumstances. When things are tough, when problems, and it's abiding and lasting. It's not so fleeting as happiness can be. Now, God doesn't ask us to do something that he doesn't empower us to do also. Uh, what Paul says, um, he, he models also. He doesn't say, you need to do this. He says, he says do as I do. Follow my example. And, and uh, he wants to show us uh, how we can live that kind of life. And, and in fact, in, in trying to show us and model joy for us, he also wants to show us the things that can rob joy from us, that can sap the joy from our, our lives. And so I'm calling this message Joy Busters, and we're going to conclude the, with the whole fourth chapter of, uh, of uh, Philippians. Uh, but but he's going he's gonna to identify some things for us that can steal from us the joy that God wants us to have. And, and when we talked about this last week, we said, you know, God's purpose for us is joy. His desire for us is joy. And so often we think like God is just, he's just kind of mean and he's hard on us. And the Christian life is so difficult and it can be so miserable, but we're going to slug through it. And that's, that's not the case. He wants us to be joyful. And, and, and so as we wrap up today... Uh, Let's look at some things that can infuse in us the kind of joy that we can have even when things are not the very best for us in the, in the good times and in the tough times. So I want to just tackle some joy busters here. And the first one is unresolved relational conflict. Unresolved relational conflict. Um, if, if you have stress in a relationship, if communication has been broken off, if you're avoiding a person, if you're angry, if there's some, rela- there's some problem with the relationship, um, I want to tell you it will kill joy. You know that, though, don't you? Uh, and we feel terrible sometimes when a relation is broken. We, we lie in bed, we think about it. Uh, perhaps we, we try and justify why the relation is broken and, and why it can't be put together, or we avoid people, or we feel guilty about it, or something like that. And, and we know how easily we can have problems uh, with someone, and our feelings get hurt, or there's a misunderstanding, or there's a comment or a gesture that's made, and we take offense at that, and, and all of a sudden you know that there's a, there's a fissure in that relationship. The whole gathered church is now here to listen to a letter that Paul has sent to them. And, uh, you know, there was no, the epistle to the uh, Philippians and Colossians. It was was a scroll. It was a letter. It wasn't in the Bible yet. That would come later. But as Paul sends this, the whole church is gathered, and they listen to this four-chapter letter that he was sending. Now, I want you to imagine that you're a part of that gathering. And here's the, the scripture from... Uh, chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. He, he says this, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, if you're there and all of a sudden 
your name is red. And Paul says, okay, uh, you guys, Brandy and Mike, you know, where, do you, where do you look when that happens, right? Yeah, down. And, and uh, you know, you've got a problem. He gets a message. You guys have a problem. And I want you to know, I, I so value you because you've been by my side working with me in, in the gospel. And, and God has so blessed that. But I hear there's a problem with you too. And, uh, and that's not right. Now, when you go to bed at night, one turns one way, one turns the other way. When you get up in the morning, you, you just kind of, you don't say anything unless you have to. Uh, pick up Ella by four. You know, and, and I'm picking on them. I just, there was such an easy target sitting here. Uh, I, don't, I don't always pick on my own family because <laughs> I have to go home with Gerda afterwards. Okay. Um, but, but here they are, and, and, and there's a problem. And Paul pleads with them. You're stealing your joy. You know, you know we worked together, we were close, but something's happened. And, and now you guys are not connected. And it not only hurts you, but it hurts the church. And it taints the church. Could, could it be um, that we lose joy? Because we've got a broken relationship and we're not going to do anything about fixing it. Because maybe we feel justified in that or, or something like that. And, and it's so important. You want to shut down God's joy in your life? Just have a problem with somebody that you refuse to fix up. You refuse to, refuse to get it straightened out. Um, or you're waiting for somebody else to take the initiative because you don't feel you were to blame. And so if they want to come and apologize to you, well, maybe we can get it done. You know, Jesus in the, in the Sermon on the Mount um, in, in Matthew 6 says, as he finishes, he says, look, if you don't forgive people, their, others, their sins against you, your father will not forgive you. Do you want to be in that kind of position where God refuses to forgive you because you won't forgive something, somebody something that is far uh, uh, much smaller and, and less important. This is serious business. I'm going to ask you, as I say, some of you are thinking, yeah, I do have a problem with somebody and I have been unwilling to, to do something about it. I'm waiting for them or whatever it is. Can I suggest to you, get that straightened out. At least on your part. You can't make another person respond correctly. All you can do is do what God wants you to do for yourself. And uh, I'll tell you what. It will lift a burden from you. And you'll, have, you'll be able to have the kind of joy that you can't have. When you've got problems that are unresolved with other people. Well a second one of these is in verse 5. And it's a self-promoting attitude. A self-promoting attitude. Um, in, in Ephesians 4 and verse 5, it says this. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, this word gentleness is uh, one of the most difficult words in New Testament Greek to try and get to what is really the point of it. It's very difficult to translate, and those of you who speak another language know there sometimes is a word that you have, and there's not a one-to-one correlation with another word that this means this, 
Um, it, it, it's so much broader and so much more complex. So let me tell you kind of the, uh, what, this, what this word kind of conveys. Um, it's kindness, gentleness. It's something that's done with patience. It's against self-seeking. It doesn't seek retaliation. And like Jesus, it, 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 it reflects humility and gentleness, not pushing oneself forward. Uh, not holding back from others. So often what we find is uh, we seek joy by pushing ourselves forward. Um, we, we want joy, but we want a spotlight. We want to be important. We want everybody to see us and, and appreciate us and love us. And, and, uh, and often we live our life by trying to compare ourselves with others and, and feel good about ourselves. But that kind of stuff does not produce joy, self-centeredness, and pride, and arrogance. And one of the curious things that I've noticed in in some of the more current uh, literature in the area of leadership, even with non-Christians, there is becoming an understanding and an appreciation uh, that leaders need to have humility, they need to have selflessness, they need to have a concern for others. It's not just some um, big-time leader who's forcing and imposing his will on everybody else. It's something much more gentle, something much more Christian. And, and it's been interesting to see how this is kind of filtered into so many of the conversations uh, surrounding leadership. You know, it's self-promotion that can steal joy from us and pride. And those things are so negative. But he says, don't be like that. Be gentle. And then he says this, the Lord is near. The Lord is near in that he can help you be the kind of person that you should be. The Lord is near also that he's watching over you and so don't mess up. He, he doesn't want you to do that. He's near. He's checking on you, what's going on. And so much of what joy is, is not fighting for my uh, uh, desire or my will and so desperately trying to seek recognition. So much of joy comes being able to step back and let others uh, be recognized. Well, the third one we have here is anxiety. Anxiety. Two things that can't coexist together are joy and anxiety. You can't be anxious. You can't be fretful. You can't be worrying and worrying and have joy at the same time. Anxiety will demolish joy. Anxiety is worrying about future events that may or may not transpire. But if there's a negative thing, you think about that. And, oh, oh, anxiety, I, I you know... I'm, I'm anxious if I don't even have something to be anxious about. I'm anxious that I'm not anxious. Some people are, are, are so anxiety-ridden. And, you know, this could happen. And, and uh, you know, my son is coming back from Kitchener. And I, I'm anxious until I see the car in here. And I'm worried all the time about anything and everything that could transpire, that, most of which never transpires. And it can be accompanied by a sense of fear and panic. Even shortness, shortness of breath and a heart racing and an emotional outburst and you can't get to sleep at night and you don't have energy. Why? Because your body is being sapped of all its energy with the worries and the frets that you have. You can't go to sleep at night and when you wake up you can't get back to sleep. 
You, you see why this is such a joy buster in our life. And it's not helpful, though, just to say stop worrying. And that's exactly what the verse says in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Don't be anxious about anything. It literally means stop being anxious. It's like you're doing it, now stop it. I don't know about you, but I don't find that particularly helpful at times. You know, you're anxious, now just stop it. Stop it right now. If I knew how to stop it, I'd do it. Um, but, but God doesn't leave us helplessly mired in anxiety. Uh, God doesn't, God doesn't uh, just say, do something but, that you can't do, and I'm just, good luck, I'm letting you on your own. So, so instead of that, we need to replace anxiety with something else. What is it that he calls us to replace it with? Prayer. Prayer. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Pray, pray, pray. And the interesting thing is about four terms that he uses that all reflect prayer in this. The first one is prayer, and that's kind of the broadest term. And, and, and it kind of encapsulates um, acknowledging God and who he is and going before this incredible, great God who was all power and majesty. Center yourself in Him when, you're, when you have anxiety. When you go in prayer, remember that you're going to the creator and sustainer and ruler of the universe. He's invited you to come to Him. He, he, he invites you to come to Himself and, and come and acknowledge who He is. And then it says petition. He invites you to ask for what your need is. Father, I, I, I'm anxious and I, I'm, I'm upset and I'm all stirred up and keyed up. I need help. I need your grace. God invites you to come to him uh, for relief and with help. And he says th- with thanksgiving, do it with a spirit of thanksgiving. Well, what do I have to be thankful for? Well, you can be thankful for God and for who he is, that you can trust him, that he's faithfulness, that he has the power, that he cares for you. He invites you to come and and you can anticipate help from him. You know who he is. See, here's what I found. When my problems are this big and my God is this big, all I do is worry. But if my problems are, are, are this big and my God is infinitely bigger, all of a sudden those problems become very small uh, and, and, and they, don't, they don't have the power over me that they would have. And then he's got a last uh, expression. He says, present, uh, he says uh, present your requests and that is asking with assurance that you'll get an answer. So he lumps all of these expressions of prayer on us and says, when you're anxious, go to God, acknowledge who he is, tell him your problem, offer to him your prayer and with a sense of faith, believing that he will care for you. And the result of that then is this. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He says, what, we'll, what we're going to do is we're going to replace worry and anxiety instead with the peace of God. The peace that God gives. That's what, that's what he promises us in there. 
If that we'll pray and take that to him and see how great he is, we'll see how small our problems are and that anxiety will flee. It's interesting uh, to see how God works. I remember uh, a very difficult circumstance in my ministry, a, a, a tragic accident. Uh, we flooded to the hospital as family members found out and and um, just a stalwart in our church uh, had, had had a terrible accident. He was brain dead. They were keeping him alive uh, for the family to figure out what would happen with him. And I watched this family. It was a family that had a deep and profound faith. And this was a man who, who led his family in faith. And I saw what God was doing with them. I saw him calm their hearts and spirit. I saw them holding each other and praying and seeking God and acknowledging that God is still Lord over everything in the midst of that. And, and people say, well, man, how, how do you have that kind of thing? He says, the peace of God which transcends all understanding. You say, I, I don't know how you can be like that. I don't know how you can have that calm. I don't know that you can have that deep sense of joy in the midst of this terrible, terrible tragedy. Yeah, that's the peace of God that comes that is, is indescribable, that, that you, you can't even figure out how you have something like that. That is a gift that only God can bring and um, transcends understanding. That is available to you. See, you don't have to be anxious you can pray and seek God and, and leave that with him. And he says that peace guards. Like, it's like a military term. It's like to garrison about and to protect um, your, mind, your, your hearts and minds. Years ago, um, in another life, before I was in ministry, one of my hobbies was uh, I showed dogs. And I had two big... German shepherds uh, that were trained at a very high level, like police work kind of stuff, Schutzen training, if some of you know that. And, uh, and um, we, had a, we had a guy who was working for our business. He was like, a, he'd gotten out of prison. He was an ex, uh, not ex, but he was a motorcycle guy. And we had a work project thing that we cooperated on. And he had to he had to come out to my place. We lived out in the country, two tiny kids at the time, and just, you know, just a little nervous about this guy and that relationship. Behind the garage, I had, I had the kennels. He says, you have dogs? I said, yeah. I said, would you like to see them? He said, yeah. So we walked around the back of the house, and, and if you know these dogs, they're wonderful dogs and, and solid temperament. But they were trained in everything, including attack work kind of stuff, police kind of stuff, and scent discrimination, and all of that kind of stuff. And I said, oh, yeah, they're very well trained. And I, I put the leash on the one, and I, and I just said, I said to the dog, I gave him like a command to watch this guy. And the dog started barking and snarling, and he climbed up on the hood of the car. And uh, it, I mean, no, it was, a, it was a nasty thing to do. And then I put the dog away, and I said, the other one's worse than that. He says, no, leave him in. Um, and he left, and I, I it's kind of chuckling to myself. And I, I you guys think I'm such a sadist, I know. I should never tell us. <laughs> and, and, um, and I said to Gerda, I don't think you have to worry about Smitty ever coming around here. Why? 
those dogs guard and garrison and protect. And, and like, like God does, like the peace of God does, your hearts and your minds. You know, your emotions, your thinking process, the whole thing. God will, his peace will protect you. And when his peace protects you, you can have joy even in difficult circumstances. Well, the next joy buster is an uncontrolled thought life. An uncontrolled thought life. It's interesting that your, your attitudes and your moods and your actions and all of these kind of things really have their beginning in your thought life. Because what we do is we act out of how we think. Um, before you ever act, you've thought about what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. You've considered it. You've planned it. And it's a, impossible to think negative and unhealthy thoughts and um, unwholesome thoughts and respond positively. Because if you think a certain way, it predisposes you to act and to have attitudes and moods uh, in a certain direction as well. See, the root of who you are is really in your thought life. How you think and how you, how you process things. That's why in, in, in Proverbs 4, it, it says that uh, guard your hearts, for it's the wellspring of life. It all starts with our hearts, with our, in other words, with our mind, with our thinking process. And, and that's what Jesus so interpreted the law in, in a, a way that was much more stringent than others would. Um, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you've heard it said, um, don't murder. But he said, I'm going to tell you this. If you, if you um, have hatred towards someone, if, if you're angry with them, um, you've committed the crime in your mind. You may not have done it, but you've committed in your mind. He goes on and he says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But he says, I tell you, anyone who looks lustfully on a woman or a man has already committed adultery in his or her heart. What happens? It starts here. Before, before it ever happens, we scheme and think and plan. And Jesus understood that, that thinking preceded doing. And that if you could shut it down at the thinking stage, then it, you wouldn't take it to the doing stage. And so he, he gives us some guidelines for our thought life. And uh, in, in uh, chapter 4 and verses 6 and 7, uh, excuse me, uh, 8, He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me and seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. He's saying it's important that you think the right way. If you want to have joy, even in difficult circumstances, you need to think the right way in your mind. And so you protect yourself by thinking right thoughts. And you can say to me, but wait a minute. I can't control my thoughts. Ah, that's a lie. You can. It's just difficult. It, ta- it's a, it's, it can be challenging. You say, well, something just comes into my mind. Well, you make a decision at that point whether you're going to entertain that thought and dwell on it or, or you're going to get rid of it. But again, it's not good enough 
to get rid of it because we're never called to empty our minds. We're told to fill our minds. And we fill our minds with things that are true and good and praiseworthy and, and all of these wonderful things. And so the thing is not to stop thinking. The thing is not to empty our minds. The thing is to fill our minds with thoughts that are proper and edifying thoughts. And the whole thing that starts the list is this. Truth. Think true thoughts. Um, if you apply this criterion to life, criterion to life, uh, you'll find it incredibly uh, revolutionary. Uh, let, me, let me give you an example. Um, when, you, when you think true thoughts, you may think negative thoughts about yourself. I'm, uh, I'm a lousy person. I'm, you know, people don't like me. I don't have a lot of friends. And, you, know, you say, now, I, I, I've got to submit that to a truth test. Is that the truth? No, it's not a truth. What does God say about me? God says I'm special and I'm loved, that he cares for me and, and he loves me and he'll never abandon me. These are truth thoughts. So you replace the negative thoughts, the wrong thoughts, with thoughts that are true and, and praiseworthy and, and, and good in every way. And, and what happens, you know, you saw somebody at church and you said hi and they didn't say hi back. And you think, oh, they're snubbing me. Oh, they don't like me. Oh, they think I'm not good enough. And you, you develop a whole narrative of thoughts that may not, not be true at all, but, but something was misunderstood. And, and, and so you hurt yourself, and, and it steals the joy away. And you need to dwell on those things. Is it good? Is it truthful? Is it uplifting? Is it praiseworthy? Fill your mind with that. You say, well, it's not easy to do that. No, it takes discipline because you have to stop yourself. And some of us like to just wallow in, in bad thoughts and, and self-pity thoughts and all kinds. Of, we, we just go over it and over it and over it in our mind. Stop it. Stop it. And when you stop that and you think right, you get rid of a joy buster and it allows you to have a joy even in circumstances that are difficult. The last one is, uh, the last uh, one we have today is uh, discontentment. Discontentment. Um, you can't be simultaneously joyful and discontented. It, they don't work together. It, you, you, you need to deal with the discontentment thing. You see, you can be joyful if you're content. What would it take for you to be content? What would you have to do? What would you have to achieve? What would you have to be? What would you have to own? Um, what, do you need to, what do you need to have to be content and to have joy? You know, advertisers know how to play on us as people. They're masterful they, they understand about the human psyche and, and they know how to weasel their way in and, and tell you, you know what, you, how can you be happy with an iPhone 6S is what, what I have. Because there's a 7. And what else is there? 8. What else is there? 10. I feel so out of it. I don't have a cottage. I don't have an iPhone 10. 
I'm a loser. No, I'm not a loser. My phone works perfectly well. Uh, and I, I don't need that. But see, this, you need that. They want to build in me a sense of discontentment with what I have. How, how can you be happy with that phone when there are better phones, with that car, with that house, with that wife, with, you, you name it. But I wasn't mean a Gerda. <laughs> Anybody want to come home for lunch with me today? <laughs> it's an open invitation. <laughs> here's, what, here's what Paul says. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Um, This is the thank you note. They sent somebody. They heard he was in jail. They sent somebody, um, and and they sent a collection of money to take care of him. And he's just saying, "I, I love you guys. You guys have been so good to me, and thank you for that. And then he goes on. He says, but I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Dude, you're in prison. You could die. You're waiting to find out the verdict. You could be, you could be put to death. And uh, he says, I'm not in need. Uh, for I've learned to be content. Next. Whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He says, you know, I, I'm, I've learned the secret. Paul, Paul, what did you learn? What did you do? Paul says, I, I've gone to the best restaurants. I've had the best education. I've stayed in five-star hotels. I've had, it, I've had it all. But I've also been hungry and naked and, and in prison, in a damp, cold prison. And I was okay with that. If you've had that, how can you be happy with that? Well, he says, I've learned the secret of that. And because he, he's, had, he's been on both sides of the field, he, he understood that, that you could learn contentment. Um, and you could go through deprivation and, and no food and jail and, and, and without friends or support. But you could be content and joyful in Christ. You see, how, how can you be content with that well first in verse 13 he says this i can do all things through him who gives me strength see this is not this is not a human thing this is a supernatural thing god has given me the ability to uh, to have the power of god remember he says i want to know christ remember last yesterday i want to know christ i want to know the power of his resurrection i want to be acquainted with his sufferings Paul, how, how are you in, in jail, locked up in jail, and you're okay with that? <laughs> well, he says, because I know Christ. And, and I know the power of the resurrection to give me joy even in that circumstance. Would you like to be able to do that? See, that's yours to have. All you have to do is put yourself where Paul is and find contentment in who God is. And, and, then, and then the next thing is, because he was singing in jail. Now, I don't know about you, but if it's, if it's not like a funeral dirge, singing is generally a good thing. And, and he was content in that. But he was also content in that he was grateful for what God had, had done for him. See, I've found that people who are not thankful 
are people who are not joyful. And people who are not thankful think that they deserve more than what they have. And ultimately, that goes back to God because God could give them favor to have more things. But in, in, uh, in, in verse 14 to 19, he says this. Um, go back one slide, please. Uh, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out uh, from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire gifts. What I desire that is more to be credited to your account. I received full payment and have been more than uh, it's have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. He said, "I am so grateful for all you've done." I'm grateful for the love that you have shown on me. And I found that when people really, um, really are thankful, and, and, and forgive us, Father, we don't see God's blessings all around us. We see what we don't have. We complain that somebody else has more than we have, so we can't be thankful with what we have. We deserve more. We deserve what others have. What's the matter with us? And, and it's a killer. You can't be joyful in that. You know, let me just say, the most influential people in my, my life have been older people who've mentored me, who've walked with me, prayed for me, and whose counsel I have sought. Um, older people, you are a gift to the church. Um, you, you provide help for us. When I, was in, when I went, first went to college with two little kids as a mature student, and we had a, a couple, Dr. Merle uh, uh, Estabrooks, and uh, he had been in ministry for 40-some years, and we just adopted them as surrogate parents and grandparents to our kids. And um, he, just watching his life um, just taught me so much. They invited us to their home for a meal. And uh, when you heard the doc talk about their home, you thought, man, I'm going to a mansion. I can hardly wait to see this place. And it was like, I don't know, a 900-foot bungalow. Very small and, uh, you know, it's just comfortable. But when you heard the doc talk about it, oh, God is so good. He has blessed us with so much. And we go, man, that's a guy I want to be by. Not somebody who, it's never good enough, and it's not enough, that I need more and more and more. And, and he just was so grateful for everything God had given him. And he'd get up in the morning, what a beautiful day. God's blessing is upon me. It's interesting, one of Gerda's sister had, quite a number of years ago, and she had, she had kids, and uh, she had cancer. And she had to have part of her tongue taken out and stuff in her neck and whatnot. And, and I remember her saying after that, I can't believe how grateful I was after that. Like, the sun is out. What a beautiful... The things that you don't even... You don't even pause to look at. Now everything. Oh, spring smells so good. You know, and, and if we would be thankful 
to God and we would see his blessings everywhere. I'll tell you what, you can have joy. Most of us are doing accounting on all the things we don't have and all why life is lousy and all the rest of it instead of looking at our blessings. As the, as the old hymn went, count your many blessings. God wants... There. God wants us to be a blessed people. He wants us to rejoice and overflow with joy even when things are tough, even when it's not that great out. And he will do that for us. I want, uh, would the uh, musicians please come up? And I thought, what a, what a, we need to celebrate today as we, as we leave on this uh, Canada Day. We need to celebrate uh, God's goodness and to rejoice in the Lord. Always. Did you get it? Uh, let me say it again. Again, I say rejoice, rejoice. So um, we want to uh, want to forget all that negative stuff and rejoice in the Lord.
think you can take that with you don't leave it here okay don't leave it in the pew take it with you rejoice in the Lord always did you get it and again I said rejoice father we are so grateful that the joy of the Lord is our strength that you are the God who fills us with joy in the midst of adversity that we can rejoice in you, that you are with us, you never leave us, you never forsake us, and you empower us to live the kind of life you want us to live. Forgive us if we thought we couldn't do it. We can't do it in our strength, but in you we can. The power of the resurrection operational in our lives. Father, I pray that you would send us from this place with great blessing and joy. We'd take it home with us. We'd keep it and we would live it throughout this week and the next week and the next week. Thank you for the joy that you put in our hearts. Unspeakable joy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.